Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Andy Zoll and Anna Wells. We're the editors of Manufacturing.net, IN.com, and Design and Development Today, and we each have more than 15 years covering the industry. Every week, we take the five biggest stories in manufacturing and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by giving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Andy, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Andy got the late notice to join us today. I'm glad you could make it. Uh, always a pleasure. And you were just so pumped from the get-go. Uh as always, brimming with enthusiasm for yeah. for any project we have around here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Always a pleasure is yes. a statement I would like to take. I'm trying with. to work on my sarcasm versus not sarcasm tone. That was not sar- sarcastic. It's uh, oh. actually a pleasure to be here. Oh, I it thought is, you were going to say yeah. like it wasn't sarcastic. I legitimately don't like anything we do. here. <laughs> um, Anna, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. Thanks. All right. And Jeff, we miss you. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. All right. <laughs> Jeff's fine. He's he just not is, here today. He is coming back. <laughs> He'll be back. As far, be as, back. We, as far as we know. Very soon. Mm-hmm. Very soon. All right. <clears throat> now, before we get started, we're going to do things a little bit differently uh, today. We have a word from our sponsor. So we'll see you in 47 seconds. Oil Eater's household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. All right, and we're back. Let's jump into our first story this week. Stellantis CEO calls out U.S. plants for absenteeism. Stellantis, the company formed when Fiat Chrysler merged with PSA Group, revealed $15.2 billion in earnings in the first year as a combined company. As a result, UAW employees could see the biggest profit-sharing checks in 35 years. Last year's checks were $8,000, before taxes. This year's will reach $14,670. CEO Carlos Tavares called employees, quote, the heart of Stellantis. Is it Stellantis or Stellantis? I think it's Stellantis. Okay, the heart of Stellantis. And credited their focus on execution and excellence for the company's record year. He called their commitment tireless. But then he threw a shot at U.S. employees. The CEO said absenteeism in U.S. factories outpaces the rest of the world, saying there was, quote, a significant difference between the U.S. and the rest of the world. The UAW didn't care for the characterization that U.S. workers weren't pulling, pulling their weight and defended workers, citing the long hours and pressure it takes to work amid a pandemic. But Anna, wasn't the rest of the world under that pressure? Right. Yeah. It's um, you kind of get the impression that the UAW is trying to defend their members, but maybe doesn't quite know how to. I mean, it's maybe they don't know what's causing this issue mm-hmm. potentially. Um, you know, the U.S. workforce has always been renowned for its productivity rates. Yeah. So seeing this kind of encouraged me to look at the data behind produ- productivity. And I was kind of surprised to see that output per labor hour in the U.S. has actually been growing at a below average rate since 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So it says that this represented a dramatic reversal of the above average growth in the late 90s and early 2000s, and that there's lots of potential reasons for this. Much of it um, is being speculated, I think, by economists. I don't think anyone really has a full picture of why. It's smartphones, but right? I There's a lot of, I, like, there was a very com comprehensive report that was like, it could be this, it could be this, it could mm-hmm. be this. Um, one but thing, it's smartphones. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, it's TikTok. They said TikTok yeah. and that was all it said was just TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that stood out to me actually was this calculation that looked at decreased productivity in terms of how much leisure time a worker would give up to accommodate it. 
So in other words, like if output required is fixed, then less productive businesses need to rely on more hours from their workers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically what they said was if productivity had kept pace with what was being achieved pre 2005, then workers would have gained more than a thousand hours of leisure time per year, which is not really like a real world result. Right. right? It's just, this is only in a lab that we're talking about this, but it does indicate that these workers like probably need to be on site more often Mm -hmm. than perhaps before. Now let's add in like the labor shortages that everyone's dealing with today and how it's been falling on current workers to sort of bridge the gap where they can't staff. I think maybe this points to like a burnout issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think workers here at Stellantis plants, like, the, you know, obviously there's 43,000 workers that are represented by the union. They're probably better insulated, mm-hmm. but it may speak to a larger issue here, I think. Um, and again, like the UAW's response citing the pandemic I don't think they're necessarily wrong in saying that's a factor, um, but it's certainly not unique to the U S as you mentioned, and something else must be in play here and they might, might not know what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it could be burnout. It could be, um, you know, a a million tiny things working together. Who knows? Mm -hmm. It's the new generation and smartphones. Um, (laughs) We've determined that it's smartphones. (laughs) Uh, Andy, uh, one thing that I noticed is that, he came out and said, like, hey, we're measuring all of our employees by the same KPIs and the U.S. just isn't keeping up. And I thought that was like, I mean, definitely the most direct shot that he took. I was I'm curious um, kind of how, you know, obviously this looks bad for their American workforce, but I'm curious about how how it's different, um, maybe in a positive way for their European workforce, because the UAW is saying this is all contractual time off during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, you would think Europe would have the same issues. Um, and if it is contractual, then that's on the company too, because this was all bargained for. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, they disclose this because they're, they say their labor costs are rising and that's part of the whole financial picture in their earnings reports. And they didn't really elaborate after it on why that might be in Europe or here because, well, they picked a fight with their union and mm-hmm. also... Um, it took the focus off of their very strong earnings report. So they just kind of left this out there irritatingly for their workers. And then uh, the other thing was they uh, weren't terribly concerned about it because the absenteeism problem is bad at their rivals, American workforces, too. So oh, that's okay. just loop the whole U.S. auto workforce in together with that little issue. So that was a nice swipe, too. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's interesting, too. And you wonder, like, so Stellantis obviously is a merger with a French company and U.S. company, they have factories all over the world, but they do have a lot in Western Europe. And we know that the people in Europe work typically shorter weeks than mm-hmm. in the U.S., which is why burnout was the first thing that came to me as like, maybe this is one of the variables that could be different. Yeah. Um, but again, like, how do you know? I have no idea. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting was that, so employees are going to receive up to $900 per 1% of profit margin in North American based in North America based on individually compensated hours last year. So that means that employees at plants like the Jeep Cher- Cherokee facility in Belvedere, Illinois, which had more downtime because of the microchip shortage, are not going to see as big a bonuses. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was uh, one of the things that he did when he kind of took a swipe at workers was he really sort of deflected from we had a banging year and all of our employees are going to be well paid as a yep. result. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just it seemed like unnecessary damage that he threw on the company. Um, the other. Uh, so Solantis is going to distribute two point two billion dollars in uh, bonuses for 2021. Wow. I mean, that is just that is incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, UAW employees are also going to get paid at GM, but they're going to see a little bit less, about ten thousand two hundred and fifty dollars, which is still up from last year. Now, Ford is seems to be the lowest of the Detroit automakers is going to pay out seven thousand three hundred and seventy seven dollars per employee, which is the smallest, but still double last year's average. So even though absenteeism is bad uh, or worse here, it seems like automakers still manage to persevere in like the worst year ever when like every headline is how tough it is to be an automaker. They're shutting down their plants and they yeah. can't get the parts. Yeah. yeah you know they, what? We'll just raise the prices and just have record profit years. Mm-hmm. How about that? Right. Just, I mean, get back to basics, like literally <laughs> basics because they can't put anything beyond standard features in cars. Man. Um. All right. 
Our next most popular story this week, Hershey workers to vote on unionizing a plant described as, quote, prison-like. It's known as the Hershey prison, and they get out for home release. Ooh, yikes. Strong words from workers in a video released February 17th by More Perfect Union. In the video, workers at Hershey's production plant in Stewart's Draft, Virginia, describe cruel working conditions and unfair pay structure and prison-like environments. The 1,100 workers at the factory will soon vote on whether or not to unionize at the facility, which has been in operation for nearly 40 years. In the video, employees aired their grievances, including working 72 straight days, denying time off requests, and claiming that company agents are monitoring social media posts. They also talked about forced overtime, oppressive management, and pay inequality. Now, the pro-union contingent hopes to join the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and Grain Miller's International Union, or easily known as the BCTGM, the driving force behind high-profile labor votes, uh, labor strikes at Kellogg's and Mondelez. Votes will reportedly be tallied on March 24th. Andy, did you have a chance to watch this video that they put out? Uh... It was a spectacular six minutes of pro labor cinema. Um, I mean, that's always interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, the production value is good. Yeah, v- values were good, and yeah. I mean, it was straight out of Vice. They had to hire oh, nice. the same producers. Oh, yeah. very good. Um, this obviously there are problems um, unique to this facility, but a lot of this reminded me of uh, the both the things you mentioned here, the Kellogg's and the Mondelez uh, labor disputes, and other ones that we've seen um, people complaining about. Uh, their working conditions. And it's, I, I mean, it seems to be the same, the same drill in all of these. The food sector has tight margins and rising demand from the pandemic, among other reasons. Um, and the workers justifiably want to work under humane conditions and have a day off once in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, as we've talked about many, many times across multiple industries, they have the leverage to actually go ahead and uh, try to do that. So, um, this is, uh, it feels very familiar to be talking about this sort of thing, um, in this podcast. Yeah. And it's, uh, Anna, it's not only familiar, but it is like, I mean, it's not weekly, but, uh, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about how workers, you know, this is a good time for workers to kind of flex that muscle and see if they can get themselves a little bit more. And I mean, because the time is right, maybe we're still going to see more of this. Yeah. And it seems like. Some at some places like this is really the only option, you know, like uh, the article talks about people going on their breaks and just not coming back. Mm -hmm. That's how it was characterized. And I know that there are people out there looking at this saying, good, if you hate it so much, why don't you just quit? There's tons of opportunities, but it's not always so easy. I mean, if you look at a place like so this town is called Stewart's Draft. It's in Virginia and it has a population of around Mm -hmm. 10,000. They have other options in this town. Like there's a McKee Foods plant. There's a Target D.C., couple things. But if you look at um, like median per capita income, it's under $29,000 and that's per 2020 census data. So that's really updated. Wow. So they don't pay much, right? The nearest metro area is Richmond. That's like a hundred miles away. So it's just sort of this like rural kind of small town triangle. Um, And I think for a lot of these people, it's like you kind of get what you get. You know, Mm. it's not so easy to just like hop to new opportunities. And I think some people probably think that they can't walk away because they're making all this money doing all this mandatory overtime and um, days without breaks on and on and on. Um, But unfortunately, that's coming with a significant decline in their quality of life. And that's probably why they're pursuing this union vote. But I don't know. I just think it's easier to say, like, go leave and find something else when you are like, I, I don't know, like, like, this potentially would require like moving or like a very big commute. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the kind of economy we're in right now. Cars are expensive. They're impossible yeah. to get. Gas is expensive. It's harder to find a house or yeah, housing. Yeah, exactly. Rentals are are so few and far between these days. You can't buy a house any, anymore mm-hmm. anywhere. You know, it's just, it, it's like it's becoming this impossible choice for these people. So you can see why they're like, what do we do? You know, like we can't, we maybe can't leave, you know, let's mm-hmm. see if we can figure out a way to get a support system in place. So 
I hope that the claims, I mean, it's, it's like a weird uh, scenario. I hope that the claims in the video are exaggerated because like uh, some of the stuff that we saw with the Kellogg's and the, uh, the long work um, periods without breaks, stuff like that, working mm-hmm. like 72 hours straight. Um, so I hope they are exaggerated because they are in a labor dispute because if some of these working conditions are true, it's just sad that they have to be there. I, I know people were saying stuff like, um, if I can't get my shift covered, I can't take day, the time off. Like, yeah. Like that's, you can't just flat ask for, ask for time off. You yeah. Have, have time off and it covered. My favorite was they, they send you for a mental health evaluation. If you take 3.5 <clears throat> days off in a year. Yeah. yeah. Like, so that, <clears throat> that speaks to, so there was a number of claims like claims that the company is not maintaining and upgrading the equipment claims of, you know, uh, various cliques and tribalism that operate in a manufacturing. And, and, you know, when you have a big manufacturing facility, that's you hear about that all the time. Mm-hmm. But those point systems, man, I've worked with them before and they are the devil. Like uh, because it is, you know, there are there's no nuance to it. There's no like I need to take a day off because my kid is sick. I need to take a day off because mm-hmm. I'm sick. I need to take a day off because I'm going crazy. It's just like you took a day off. It was unscheduled. That is a point. And I, I thought the same thing too, Andy, like three and a half points and you have to go for consulting because you, clearly there must be something off with you mentally if you need to take three and a half days off. Right. I guess it's good they have counseling services available. Sounds you like want to look at the minimal yeah. bright side here. There you go. There you go. There's the bright side. So, uh, but Hershey has spent some $239 million over the last two years to expand production capacity capacity, and add jobs at this facility. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they are making investments. Maybe it's just, you know, more space that they can have pay workers less to do more. I don't know. Uh, but the plant is currently the company's second largest in the U.S. And it's, uh, you know... Hershey obviously believes in the community since they've been investing in it. Maybe this was an ideal time for workers to try and take a stand. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All right. Let's move on to our next most popular story this week. Ford beats out Tesla for top EV honor. Consumer Reports recently released its list of the best cars of 2022. And Ford dethroned Tesla as the top EV. Ford's Mustang Mach-E was more reliable more practical, quieter, and less complicated than the Tesla Model 3. The Mach-E also gained points for a driver assistance system with effective driver monitoring. Consumer Reports said the Model 3 remains, quote, a great choice, but the higher-end Model Y struggled with reliability issues, including paint, hardware, power equipment, and body integrity issues. Andy, your thoughts on this changing of the guard Ford taking over Tesla. Changing of the guard. <laughs> the, I mean, this car, the, the Mach-E when it came out, um, which I should have looked this up when, whenever it came out, it yeah. was, it was months and months ago. Now, yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, every, everyone talked at that time, like, Hey, this car is the real deal for years and years and years. Tesla was making these cars that just blew anything else mm-hmm. electric out of the water. Mm-hmm. And this was the first one where people were like, Hey, this is something that can match up to what they're doing. Um, and this is just kind of a confirmation of that, really. Yeah. Summer 2021. Okay. So that's as close as I could get in that uh, that moment I had there. Months and months and months was right. <laughs> months ago. Uh, Anna, your thoughts on uh, on Ford taking the top spot? Well, I first of all, I think it's funny how Consumer Reports doesn't take any crap from Elon Musk. Because <laughs> they, like, you know, I think last year they ranked Tesla pretty well. But I think the year prior they were just like, mm-mm. Yeah, we um, don't see it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, they do not like uh, feel like they owe him a thing, I guess. But um, anyway, I thought that this story was interesting because I was looking into it a little more. And one of the elements that's being blamed for some of Tesla's fall from grace, I guess, here is uh, coming down to a design change that they found to be extremely annoying, the Consumer Reports test drivers. So... I know there was a contentious design change in Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. What was this design change? So Reuters said that um, Consumer Reports really docked Tesla for its new steering wheel, which is a yoke style like you'd see on a race car. Like there's no top to it. It's like arcade style race car driving. Oh, okay. Um, And according to the report, the yoke steering wheel installed in the Model S and Model X is so difficult to use that it dropped the most valuable automaker's position in the Consumer Reports annual car brand rankings by seven spots to 23rd place below average. My goodness. I know. So when they call the Mach-E less complicated and more practical, 
this is the type of thing that they're referring to. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like to me, just these kind of like dumb design choices that like are made to woo gamers and tech geeks. Like they're actually difficult to maneuver in the real world, especially according to, so like Jake Fisher, the senior director of automotive testing for consumer reports said, quote, it makes driving these vehicles frustrating all the time. (laughs) I mean, but I mean, that's a design change that anyone that's been driving I mean, the steering wheel is what like you have a feel for it. You know, mm-hmm. you already like uh, you have your hand position where it's both both on the wheel. And, you know, when you got the one on the uh, on the window. Yeah. Like so that's not something that you can change and not disrupt everyone that's currently on the road. I know. And like what happens to the controlled slipping method? I, I, it's like it goes out the window. Well, like, uh, <laughs> do we know? No, uh, okay. no, I don't like I mean, I'm trying to figure out what the controlled slipping method it's is. It's like just, when you turn and then you like let the wheel just like slide back. Oh, your OK. No. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't do that. So no. that is what I thought it was. I was just like, I didn't know that that's what it was called. I I, just, just yeah, it was there's some things in here cool. from from high school that just <clears throat> I don't know. I just think they're like trying too hard. It just seems like sort of a dumb thing. And then here it's like actually impacting their rankings, which people look at, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially consumer uh, consumer reports like this should be something that can be customized or like interchangeable. Uh, Andy, just looking at this steering wheel, I w- this would drive me insane. Also, like when I hear consumer reports, uh, reviewers were incensed. I automatically think it's a bunch of like curmudgeon, curmudgeon Jeff's out there just being like, why reinvent the wheel? Literally. Jeff's I, out there. I feel Jeff like this. I've, my muscle memory of this sort of thing takes me back to those, the, those cruising USA arcade yeah. games where yeah, exactly. all I would do yeah. personally mm-hmm. is just run into the wall over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's what would happen if I was behind the wheel. Of one of these. And you don't want to do that. No, <laughs> no, you don't that's an do expensive it. car. Yeah, no, it's, uh, um, I guess, I, I guess I would have put the steering wheel as uh, more in front in the story because, uh, yeah, they should be dinged for that. Well, and maybe they are customizable. I don't know that. Like, maybe just this was the version that they got and yeah. it really worked out um, against Tesla and in Ford's favor that they got the yoke steering wheel. Uh, all right. According to our producers, the Mach-E was introduced in November 2019 and then went on sale in December 2020 as the 2021 model. So summer 2021, I was way off. It's a second model year, though. Yeah. Okay. 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 There we go. But you can't get you can't get them. You know, they're all like bought already. So true. (laughs) Um, So the other part of this is, you know, we had uh, another Ford story that kind of was really popular this week is that Ford has been contemplating some big changes. Uh, Ford CEO Jim Farley is evaluating ways to separate its growing electric vehicle operations from its conventional internal combustion engine vehicles. So, Andy, do you think Ford will spin off its EV business? Uh, they since that story ran, um, Jim Farley since come out and said, no, they're not spinning this off into an entirely separate company. And that was speculated all along because. Uh, everyone thought the Ford family would not go along with it. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. still wield control um, over the board and over the the shares of the company. Um, so they're going to try. They have to do something, right? Because they're under pressure to shed the costs of their legacy uh, internal combustion stuff and uh, and focus on electric vehicles. Um, so they're got to figure out some way to kind of separate them under the same corporate umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be tricky to do because there's lots of design and engineering aspects of that. And then there's still going to be saddled with the costs of producing these gas powered cars as they're winding down. So, um, we talk a lot about how, um, it's hard to just start a car company, but once a Tesla or a Rivian is up and running, they don't have those costs to deal yeah. with. So that's a whole different ball game for Ford and they're going to have to to figure something out while navigating their uh, unique corporate structure. Yeah, it's I mean, it's hard to start a new company, but it's also hard to pivot one that has a legacy like Ford. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Anna, these are, like Andy said, major differences between running a conventional car maker and an EV maker. Everything from design and engineering through manufacturing and marketing Uh is the best way to do it to just create a different and div- like an EV division in Ford and then sort of silo that from uh, the traditional part of the business? Mm, yeah, I don't know how they do that exactly, yeah. um, you know, in any sort of viable way. They steal someone high from Tesla, put them in charge, leave them alone. Give it a really dumb name. Like oh, yeah. For- Ford. 
I don't know. Everything I could think of of what the dumb name would be is already someone else's dumb name. <laughs> so I'll Some, have to think yeah. about that. Something like we'll forward. Ford word. Ford word. Ford word. Ford word. Yeah. Ooh, I really don't like that. That means it's great. Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, I work for Ford word. Um, it's the EV division. Yeah. Um, so what caused what caused this controversy? Was it investors that were kind of pushing for them to spin out the business? Yeah, I don't think it was anything um, anything sudden. I think it was just kind of gradual pressure from from their shareholders to do something about the these old costs as they spend billions, like every other other automaker, spend billions uh, to try and uh, catch up to Tesla on these electric vehicles and make that the vehicle of choice uh, as we try to wean ourselves off fossil fuels. Um, okay. So. I, I don't know if there's a firm deadline on this sort of thing. It's just something that they're going to have to deal with at some point. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on to our second most popular story this week. Virgin Hyperloop abandons passenger travel. Virgin Hyperloop might be dead. Sort of. The Hyperloop division has wor- was working towards pod-like transportation units to ferry passengers and cargo along a track at amazing speeds. The company's proposed 670 mile per hour speeds made it 10 times faster than traditional rail and three times faster than high speed rail. Team Hyperloop recently laid off half of its workforce and reportedly plans to shift to a cargo focused business model. The Financial Times first reported that Hyperloop was switching gears to the movement of goods, not people. It could still be promising, especially with supply chain problems at ports. Hyperloop wants to create what they're calling inland ports, inland ports, where containers are shot further inland for processing rather than clogging up congested port areas. Now, Anna, while I'm always saddened to see tube technology for humans take a back seat for a moment, Mm -hmm. I do like the idea of an inland port. Yeah, the inland port is a great idea for right now. Yeah. Right. Like the greatest need for this technology right now is mm-hmm. exactly what Virgin Hyperloop is going to do. Mm-hmm. I think at some point they maybe had to acknowledge that there's a certain kind of acceptance curve that they were going to confront with consumers as in how comfortable are people going to be getting into this high speed train? And, you know, I think like not only just the speeds, but also the pandemic, which really oh, yeah. kind of dinged public transit for a while. There are people you're kind of like locked in this little cube and yeah. sharing airspace with people. I don't know when that's going to change, but March we're not, one. we're not there yet. <laughs> March one. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. It, like, and, and if you look at like Hyperloop is basically uh, a super fast high speed rail. Yeah. And look at where we're at with high speed rail in America, nowhere, mm-hmm. because people just aren't clamoring for that. So if you look at, uh, the business case for focusing on the movement of goods instead of people, I think, um, you know, your safety concerns are a bit reduced. Um, it might improve its speed to market because of that. Mm-hmm. And um, its ability to create these inland ports, I think, is exactly the kind of solution we need because it will clear not only those port side bottlenecks, but it will also reduce the need for over the road trucks, for truck drivers, which we don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if the possibility for passenger transit comes back to life someday. And I hope it does um, because I think it's valuable, especially considering the ability that this has to be more of a sustainable choice for travel. But for right now, they really have to look at the best way to move this company forward. And they have a unique opportunity right here. And I'm glad to see that they're kind of focusing on that now Mm. going forward. No, I think so. It's uh, we talk about it a lot with some of these electric startups and uh, trying to get that fleet by, Mm -hmm. you know, this uh, they can pivot to a way to solve a lot of our current issues and maybe establish an infrastructure too. I mean, if it's going to serve, you know, major metropolitan areas, maybe something like this will help them build the network Mm -hmm. that eventually can be used for passenger travel. Uh, Andy, were you excited to travel in a tube at incredible rates of speed. Um, I think like a lot of people, I was as long as a bunch of other people did it first. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not willing to be a guinea pig. Let's put it that way, which makes me a hypocrite. I get it. But yeah, they um, actually made, they actually said that uh, one of the troubling signs was like Hyperloop's first guinea pig, the one champion in the uh, business that wrote it first. 
quit. So that was a uh, good sign. Yeah, I'm wondering if uh, they kind of played it a little close to the vest from what I've read about this decision, other than saying they think there's this opportunity in freight, which I'm sure there is. But also uh, the person who headed the company left. Um, and I think uh, whether it was precipitated, uh, whether that was precipitated by some differences within the company or if the company took a look after that. Um, there may have been less enthusiasm for trying to get over that hump uh, without that person uh, in charge one way or the other. So uh, that that may be they may have downplayed their their concerns with uh, shooting people along a vacuum tube at 600 miles an hour. Yeah. Has, has anyone seen him since he got off the out of the tube? I'm sure he just disappeared he, into the night. I don't know. He, I'll see if he's did he resign recently. and get in the tube and fly up into <laughs> <Yeah>. the sunset? <laughs> see you. He tubed into the sunset. Um, you know. Andy, do you look at uh, Hyperloop type technology and see just a fast train that's enclosed? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's. What do you see, David? <laughs> well, I mean, like, no, I mean, uh, no, I get what you're what you're asking. Yeah, we don't we don't have high speed transit in this country. Yeah, and other countries do. So they're trying to make it cool, and it's a shame. Yeah. And and you're right. The public isn't. You know, the public hasn't. Um, clamored for it with their with their votes or their advocacy Mm -hmm. for that sort of thing because for whatever reason they have bigger bigger fish to fry what have you Um, we don't have that many fish to fry as individuals like (laughs) not as individuals but as a society yeah yeah oh yes so many fish that are currently smokes um got a fish boil no it's just (laughs) and uh uh, Just frying too many fish to vote. Sorry, right. I can't get out there. Right. We're more like frogs in the pot. <laughs> um, no, Anna, the reason I say that is because that's like whenever we, we run Hyperloop stories, that is the one criticism we hear all the time on the site is people say, I don't see why you're calling it a Hyperloop. It's just a fast train. Well, it's three times faster than any high speed rail. Mm-hmm. So it is fast. To, I mean, it would be like the equivalent of taking an airplane. Um, and, yeah. you know, if you think about how annoying the airport is and if you could avoid doing that, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, like, you know, I, I don't need to beat a dead horse. I just I don't think people are ready for it. Yeah. No, it's uh, this sort of technology has always excited me. And so I'm like it's. They're not Virgin isn't the only Hyperloop company in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's Hyperloop transportation technologies based out of L.A. And, you know. Elon Musk's boring company, which did just uh, have that possible new project in Miami, uh, even though I think the one kind of fizzled out in Vegas, right? Um, it's going, but they had a little uh, little viral dust up where they had a traffic jam in the high speed traffic tunnel, and that's you don't want that. not not a great visual. A no. traffic jam, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that not a great look. I can like feel a, the claustrophobia yeah. tightening around. I'm having yeah. an like, anxiety oh, dream tonight that, about that this. Video, for sure. You should watch that video. I think it was in January. That video is something else. No, thank now, you. Now, was it OK? It was a traffic jam and like they were just stuck or was it like a traffic jam? Accident? There were just they were just backed up. There oh. were too many, too many cars. And so there there was a backup. But also it's a tunnel that gives what? six inches of clearance around your car. So you're just kind of looking around like, okay, here we go. Oh man. (laughs) Is it a traffic? How long are you in a traffic jam in a hyperloop before, until you're buried alive? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's almost, it takes the denial out of it. Cause when you're in a traffic jam out here, you're thinking, Oh, I'll just change lanes and that'll be the one that goes. And that's never the case. So this just takes that right out of the yeah, you've got list it. of possibilities for you. You are stuck. You have well, nowhere to go. You, yeah. You can still see like the horizon. I, don't, I can't <laughs> imagine. Like, you could, yeah. You can get out of your car and physically walk out <laughs> this one. You're just stuck uh, underground. Yeah. Like forever. I'll run into a field, I guess. I, there's just no, <laughs> if I have to. <laughs> All right. Our most popular story this week Explosion rocks huge Louisiana refinery. On Monday, an explosion rocked a huge Louisiana refinery. Marathon Petroleum said six workers suffered minor injuries. It was not immediately clear what caused the blast and the fire, which took place in Garyville, which is between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. The six injured employees were contract workers. Four of them were treated at the plant's. And then three other people were treated and released from a local hospital. So I guess that's seven then. The facility, which is located along the Mississippi River, has a refining capacity of 578,000 barrels per day, making it one of the largest in the country. Andy, the timing isn't the best for something like this to hit a refinery. 
Um, no, I was uh, scolded for taking the only take worth having on this story. <laughs> so I'll just get that out of the way and we can go from there. Um, it's uh, very good that there were only minor injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one was killed. And um, I believe I read that this is the third largest refinery in the U.S. by processing capacity. Um, and uh, we've obviously been dealing with some rising inflation and some uh, conflict that is uh, not low on energy sector implications around the world. Um, so it's not not a great time for one of your major refineries to go offline. Okay. Uh, Anna, if that's the only take, do you just want to repeat it? No, I, um, first I want to apologize because I never meant to scold you. No. <laughs> <laughs> if I, <laughs> I guess I missed this. It must've really, really been hard. Real dust up. You know? yeah. yeah. Pretty serious office politics. How dare you take that take? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think there's some other takes. Um, <laughs> Like the following. Uh, <laughs> Such as. <laughs> um, no, I was reading about how some of the people living in the area responded to this incident because it sounded very scary. Oh, yeah. Um, and very loud. Mm-hmm. So one resident of Laplace, which is a town like 20 miles away from Garyville. I believe that translates to the place. <laughs> Did I? By the way, you paused a long time before you said Baton Rouge. Is that because you were... Not sure. No, I just uh, I was gonna say baton, like baton, but like I mean that's not because I didn't know how to say it. It's <laughs> because I my my eyes see that word and I'm just like oh baton rouge, <laughs> but it's baton. I know. <laughs> no, we're baton not doing rouge. a caprison thing. No, he caught himself. It's yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That was just everyone caught me catching myself, and apparently it was a very long. Pause. You wanted to say it wrong, but you didn't. So <laughs> I never want to. Say you're it wrong. you're learning. Um, anyway, so uh, one resident of Laplace um, described it as being like the worst thunderstorm of my life. Um, other neighbors described loud booms and hissing noises, as well as seeing smoke billowing from the plant. So we talk a lot about safety on the show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a relief that these contract workers were not hurt. So I think that's why I feel like we can explore this next point. But incidents like this are horrible PR for manufacturers, you know, especially when, um, you know, we're in this time period where everyone needs workers and manufacturers are dealing with joblessness and labor shortages, just like everybody else. But I'd argue here that no matter where an explosion happens at a factory, Mm -hmm. it impacts every manufacturer. And that's because these neighbors have imprinted this on their brain. But anytime a story like this makes national news, um, you know, it kind of rigidifies that preconception that people have about what plant work being yeah, dangerous, you dirty know, and dangerous. dirty and dangerous. Right. Yeah. And that's still a problem. We know that from data year over year over year, that's not a problem that's going away. No matter how much automation we add, mm-hmm. no matter how clean these factories are, because nobody writes a story about how clean these factories are. Right. Um, right. Or, you know, they just, you just hear about these explosions. And I don't think the average person really maybe makes the distinction between like, refineries being a particularly dangerous operation maybe mm-hmm. versus wherever else you might work in, in manufacturing. And and I don't even think refineries are that dangerous anymore, honestly. So it's just unfortunately a byproduct of these types of events that they just impact everybody. I think uh, equally just to see that this stuff is is out there and sort of reaffirms what people believe about manufacturing, even though it's not true. No, that's part of the entire experience, right? Where they interview the neighbors who had their windows and doors mm-hmm. blown out. They uh, talk to people like, and it, it is, it's, it's extremely scary. Like uh, it has to also be difficult to live in these neighborhoods sometimes if, especially after an event like this. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is, you know, this is the kind of thing that people think about when a plant project comes up before um, a committee or, or mm. you know, people are looking for public input on, should we let this factory set up in our, our neighborhood? And, it, you know, this does not help. Um, so I was able to see that the fire began with an explosion on the diesel producing hydro cracker at the refinery. And so a hydro cracker is some sort of equipment that's used to take low quality, heavy gas oils and turn them into high quality, clean burning jet fuel, diesel and gasoline. So sounds extremely flammable. It does. So, and dangerous. But uh, Andy, what are your thoughts on uh, sort of Anna's, you know, scraped together second take um <laughs> did, about, it, did it sound scraped it didn't together? sound scraped together no, it was good yeah it was, it was actually great when you're just like 
there could be another one. I'm like, <laughs> oh, where is she going? And I'm like, no, that actually that was great. That made sense. Group um, projects are hard. That's just it. <laughs> right. So you're gonna you're gonna take that part. All right. Oh, all right. I'll uh, I'll figure it out. Here we go. Um, your your thoughts on how like safety uh safety incidents like this impact the industry at large? No, we because we cover this day to day. We, you know, can we see the distinction between a, an oil refinery and a plant that makes sheet metal or Fritos or what, what have you. And I think a lot of other people, they'll just see industrial accidents. So I think that's, um, and maybe we need to do a better job of distinguishing that these are completely different. Um, not us necessarily, but just, mm-hmm. you know, um, us as a society distinguish, um, these are very specialized industries even amongst themselves. And that, uh, you know, a, a huge refinery like this um shouldn't preclude you know your community from of you know hosting a factory or any other economic development project like it mm-hmm. and uh kind of speaking to the fact that you know there were minor injuries but nobody had suffered any major inju- injuries that kind of speaks to the safety uh protocols that they had in place right the mm-hmm. safety personnel that they had um on the ground in order to make sure that you know something like this didn't get way worse yeah all right now, we're going to move on to In Case You Missed It. But before we move on to In Case You Missed It, we have another word from our sponsor. Enjoy. Oil Eater's household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. And we're back with In Case You Missed It, stories that weren't as popular on our websites this week, but still stand to make a uh, have uh, big implications on the industry going forward. Andy, apparently I have struggled to come back from a break. This was my first one, so I, you know, it's a real work in progress. What is your In Case You Missed It this week? Um, I'm not shocked this didn't get a whole lot of traction because it's about a uh, bureaucratic filing by the U.S. Postal Service, which may not you know, jump mm-hmm. right to the front of your brain when you're looking through the newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened here is uh, the USPS is uh, overhauling their delivery fleet for the first time in decades. And there's all these steps they need to go through. They've awarded a contract to Oshkosh Defense. Um, and now they do an environmental review of it. And they publish the decision about the entire environmental review. And it passed, I guess. Uh, so now they can go ahead and order the first uh, trucks. Mm-hmm. The issue here is that uh, you have regulators, the administration, environmental groups, and the actual EPA uh, saying they did a bad job. Mm. And the post office said, basically, we don't care. <laughs> um, so the let me find the quote here. Uh, the EPA said its analysis was flawed and that it underestimated the cost of its gasoline trucks, overestimated the cost of the relatively small amount of electric uh, trucks that they're going to buy. Um, and I also wanted to bring this up, uh, it, cause again, it's just kind of a procedural filing. Um, but we covered this before that these trucks, uh, the gasoline ones are going to get less than nine miles per gallon with the air conditioning running. And they, uh, met the definition of a heavy duty truck by one pound and one pound less. And they likely would have not met federal emission standards and been illegal. I just... Are they going to be significantly larger than? Uh, yes. That, oh, okay. Okay. Then, I mean, the, uh, I guess, sounds a little bit more justifiable than nine miles per gallon, but I'm just thinking of the current little box trucks and it's like, they should be able to be more efficient. You would think so. Yes. And it's, you said it's, uh, I mean, it's like only 10% of the fleet is going to be electric, right? Yeah. And the argument they've said all along is that even the gasoline ones can be retrofitted later <clears> to <throat> make them electric. Um, I don't know that I'd hold my breath for that, but yeah. that's, that's their, been their argument all along when they awarded this contract. And then, uh, to this day, even despite all this criticism from the public and private sector. And all this back and forth about these new, uh, vehicles for the post office, 
I mean, at some point, we just have to get them on the road, right? I mean, what is the current fleet from the 70s, 80s, maybe even earlier? I think it's the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, it's very old. But then to to that point, like, what's another couple of months to, like, do the review adequately? I think that's what a lot of people are saying. Um, so they got blasted by, like, the EPA and environmental groups. And my favorite quote, let me see if I can find it. Um this is from Patricia Portillo of the National Natural Resource Defense Council, or NRDC. She said, quote, neither rain nor sleet nor financial good sense will stop the leaders of the U.S. Postal Service from trying to buy dirty, polluting delivery trucks. Jeez. Whoa. <laughs> so we can see how, oh, I'm sorry, Patricio, not Patricia. Mm. Um, we can see how they feel about this decision. Um and this process. So I don't think that this is over. I don't, it doesn't feel like it's over. I feel like um, that more could be done or may be done here in terms of directives. But you can I always we'll file see. a lawsuit, whether it goes anywhere, mm-hmm. but you can always file one. Yeah. And we, we love to file lawsuits uh, in this country. So didn't Oshkosh get sued by the other person that was up for the contract? Um, yes. And that... Um, Workhorse. Workhorse, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, uh, I believe, flirted with bankruptcy after that, so I'm not sure that ended up going anywhere. But they, oh, yeah. they, there were complaints about um, how the contract was awarded, and Workhorse, of course, wanted to um, build basically an all-electric fleet. So that's that uh, stuck in people's craw, too, I think, that they awarded the contract to the company that was explicitly not going to make a lot of electric vehicles. I just can't believe that something related to the Postal Service is not going as planned. It's a real shocker. Yeah, you you rarely see that sort of thing. Yeah, and a government contract just getting bickered over because of jockeying for position. It is a shock to me. Mm-hmm. It is a shock. You never, it's rare. Mm-hmm. All right, Anna, do you have bureaucratic red tape in your, in, in case you missed it? Uh, Well, first, I just want to let you know that I looked up craw, and it is the stomach of a person or animal. Oh, so when it's... St- why did you do really? that? Really? Because Andy said stuck in their craw, and I was like, what is a craw? <laughs> that's, a, that's an expression, right? It is. Yeah. Okay. No, it yeah. is. Good. It's yeah. just one that I've never like pursued, so I yeah. just... It just, it's like it's saying it just doesn't sit well. Yeah. 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 Which makes sense. If it's I your ass- stomach. Stuck I think in I your always stomach. assumed it was, probably because it rhymes with jaw, I assumed mm-hmm. it would like stuck in your... No. Oh. Mm. Okay. Just uh, yeah, stuck in a, an animal's stomach. Yeah, there's a lot of theories that turn. We've cleared it up, though. Craw yep. is an animal's stomach. Sorry for that diversion. I will get no, on with good. it. No, it's good. Learn something new every so, day. Yeah. Um, Anna, what is here in case you missed it? So among our least read stories of the week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's one that I wrote. Yeah. Just kidding, David. I don't know how poorly it did, but probably <laughs> poorly. Um, oh, man. Let me look it up. No. Ball Corporation, the largest aluminum beverage can maker in North America, and also the only one that you know, mm-hmm. yep. unless you work in packaging, is raising its minimum order fivefold, and it's having a profound effect on small breweries. So the company is reportedly increasing its minimum from 200,000 units per SKU to a million, which is five times the amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also said that... Uh, they're going to no longer provide warehouse space. So even if a client can't afford the bulk orders, they'll still need to find a place to store them. Um, this looks like it will disproportionately impact smaller craft brewers. And being from Wisconsin, the beer industry is important to us. And there are a zillion craft breweries out there mm-hmm. whose presence, in my opinion, makes beer interesting and exciting. You know, like I think boring macro beer companies kind of dominated this market for decades and decades and now it's just a little bit more interesting in my opinion but anyway this industry really faced some some difficulties like during the pandemic so they're obviously they're facing the same supply issues the same staff inflation challenges all the stuff that the rest of the country is facing but like shutdowns of restaurants and breweries during the pandemic and you know reduced capacities and restaurants like that hit them particularly hard Mm -hmm. Um, not to mention that competition in this industry is insane Mm -hmm. Um, and so you worry that for many of these craft brewers like it will be kind of like a death by a thousand cuts and a million yeah well and and this kind of scenario Mm -hmm. well it's uh and I mean, more on the 13th most popular story on our website this week. Um, we, uh, 
is that you mentioned it's per skew. And so, I mean, that's yeah. like if they had if they made one beer, they still got to find room for 800,000 more cans. Yeah. But I mean, any craft brewery that I can think of has at least four, six. Yeah. I mean, and think of the craft breweries, even the one that's, you know, in the same building as us. Where is that going? I know. Exactly. There's no story. I mean, uh, um, it's it's really frustrating. But, you know, uh, Ball kind of said that their hand was forced like mm-hmm. uh, uh, in terms of raising aluminum prices. Um, you know, when the craft breweries got together and said, like, it's clear that Ball doesn't want to be in the craft brewery business. Ball's just kind of like. Yeah, we try to make it really clear. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been like a peace price game for a while here. We know that at the beginning of the pandemic, they were talking about can shortages. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it is just Ball Corporation doing what they have to do to be profitable. I get that. It's just that, you know, some of these smaller batch formulas or, you know, Mm -hmm. it could mean the end of some of these brands altogether if they can't scramble and find a supplier that's going to work for them. And it's not easy to find a supplier of anything that's going to work for you right now. <laughs> it it oh, used to be that a small, bre- I mean, the only uh, beer cans that were around were from the huge brewing companies. Every craft brewer was in bottles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when the change was made, but now you go into uh, the, the liquor store or whatever, or the gas station here in Wisconsin. And there's, I mean, it's mostly cans for pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, uh, it'll be interesting if they decide to go back to bottles or, and then what kind of headache that'll that'll uh, be for their, their operations. Mm-hmm. Well, and to kind of put some perspective, cause I mean, you hear 200,000, you hear a million cans. It's hard to like, how many is that? Like mm-hmm. 200,000 cans filled a semi. Yeah. So that's like when they increase it five, five fold, like that's five, like five truckloads dropping off just pallets of cans. I mm-hmm. mean, that is just, an, it's an incredible amount. Um, and I mean, luckily I'm not a beer drinker, so I'm not really impacted here. But uh, if this starts to hit the gin industry, I'm going to be upset. Yeah, it would be hard when you can't get cans of gin anymore. I know. I mean, hey, if this even disrupts my occasional mixers, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. <laughs> you, uh, I mean, you can't take glass everywhere, so those 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 cans are important. <laughs> yeah. True. Well, and you do wonder, too, if like some of these um, craft brewers, if they hit enough roadblocks, like are they more amenable to these little buyouts from these giant companies that are just oh, true. absorbing yeah. everybody and then it just all gets swallowed up and then oh. and it sucks. That is a, because, I mean, they're going to have to look somewhere at least at a minimum from sto- for storage space. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> May, I mean, we got some room in the office. We'll have to check with Delta and see if, you know, we need to start. We can, we can figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. My in case you missed it this week is a story from Engineering by Design about planes being outfitted with bionic shark skin. On Wednesday, Swiss International Airlines became the first passenger airline in the world to use AeroShark aircraft skin technology. All 12 of the airline's Boeing 777-300ER aircraft will be shark skinned. AeroShark was created by a team from Lufthansa Technik and BASF. It's a durable bionic film that mimics shark skin to optimize airflow on the aircraft. The film has a ribbed texture that reduces friction and improves lift when attached to the wings. Now, it's not a huge result. It's only going to make the fleet about 1.1% more fuel efficient. And at that point, I realized I'd already written about 80% of the story, so I was already all in. Had so to you keep just going. went with it, yeah. Had to push through. Had to keep going. But... With 1.1%, with just 12 aircraft, it's going to reduce the airline's annual fuel consumption by more than 4,800 metric tons and cut the total annual carbon dioxide emissions of its fleet by up to 15,200 metric tons. So it's going to make a big impact, even if it's only a single percent. Aerospace is not one of these, it's not like cars where you can just electrify them Well cars aren't that easy either Mm -hmm. but this is it's an industry where you're talking about mitigating rather than overhauling it entirely so any little thing you can do like this even if it's just more than one percent you know that kind of dent you hope that adds up and so your industry doesn't make as much of an impact on uh, on the environment as it is currently plus these are applied as like little squares and i just i know people are going to start sticking this stuff to their car because it's just like does your car does your car have a texture? Yeah, it's a uh, shark skin. Makes it faster. <laughs> no, why not? Faster, more efficient. 
Uh, also in this uh, in this episode of Engineering by Design, uh, there are three D printed shoes that are inspired by Bigfoot, and I mean that's just a story for everybody. So they found Bigfoot, Mm-mm. but based on the footprints they have found, they made a shoe. That's not true. No, uh, it's uh, it's called the Cryptide because Bigfoot and Yeti, they're called cryptids in cryptozoology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is like this gnarly looking kind of looks like a like a track, um, like a track shoe that like uh, spe- uh, sprinters use. Mm-hmm. And then underneath that is like this really cool, like organic looking sole that's been 3D printed. So it would be custom fit to your foot and fit like a sock, but then have like a traditional sole, with, which has like tread almost looks like a. Uh, like a tank tread on the bottom for each individual toe. Just because you can 3D print it. Is there doesn't, a uh, doesn't mean you have is there an to. estimated cost on these things? A lot. A lot. Okay. A lot of dollars. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't find a cost, but I estimated uh, for the sake of the show and said a lot. Okay. I mean, <laughs> if you can freak people out who walk past you oh, a few yeah. minutes later, I mean, that might be worth it. Well, it's, I mean, uh, they already... You can already 3D print custom orthotics. You know, you yeah. you stand you stand on the mat, they take the shape of your foot and they give you a custom 3D printed insert for your uh shoe. Those are already like pretty expensive, but I mean, uh it's something that could actually help uh help you not just look cool. Yeah. So, but I mean, you're right. Yeah. If it leaves a cool print in the snow, it is worth the investment Extra bonus. Even if it costs as much as a car. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to our final thoughts this week. Uh, Anna, I'd like to start with you. Do you have a final thought? I do. Um, and since Jeff isn't here this week, uh, I thought I'd pose a question and this is not trivia. This is just a poll. So today we found a bug in the office and I'm not going to reveal to you what type of bug, (laughs) but it did reduce a group of adults to hysteria um, so I'm curious to know from our listeners, what is that bug that just reduces you to like a puddle and then you're kind of running around in circles and uh, we found that today and we have like the cleanest office. So it was very alarming. Mm-hmm. Also the location of the bug was troubling. It was the whole thing was troubling, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I'm curious uh, if others have a least favorite bug um, and what it is. So what gives you, you can the send... most willies? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> what what sends your, your willy factor to 10 and above? <laughs> yeah. Please let us know what sends your willy factor to 10. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, around lunchtime. Man, I just got real Wisconsin there. You know, Um <laughs> And uh, it was, you know, by the cutlery, by the cutlery and the cutting board that I like to use every day. It was on every it. day. It was on it. And uh, and now that stuff has been um, <clears throat> lit on fire. So that's what you do. Gone. When that- <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, we need a new office. Uh, Jeff didn't leave us with results of the trivia or a new trivia no, question. So we're so, sort of just, we got to wait until next week. So we have to invite Jeff back to the right. podcast for that reason alone. <laughs> Gonna need that card, Jeff. Um, no, actually, I don't even remember the question. <laughs> um, Andy, uh, what bug gives you the willies? Um, I failing any other candidates that I'm failing to, to think of. It's the, uh, I believe the species we found here today. I think oh, that's okay. the one. If right. I find that in my house, I'm just like, nope, going to go. I don't. That room is condemned. I live somewhere else now. <laughs> Caution tape. All, yep. that's, yeah. And I have, you know, I have pets. So I'm like, why don't you guys take care of it? Right. Yeah. Eat that thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? Be a here? dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what is your final thought this week? Um, I, I mentioned around the office that uh, we're planning to get out of this lovely upper Midwest spring weather in a few weeks here and go down to uh, to Florida for a few days. Um, and uh, one of the things we want to hit down there is the uh, Kennedy Space Center. So um, I don't know if I'll be filling in before then, but if I fill in after then, I might have a little more sophisticated aerospace take nice. than, uh, than me and my... Uh, my shark skin take this time around. I'm jealous of that right? trip. That sounds super fun. The commentary is going to be, yeah, it's big down there, man. Yeah. <laughs> Those rockets are no joke. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, my final thought for this week was that we got a lot of really cool feedback about trade shows that our listeners and viewers uh, like to go to. And we've started to reach out to see if we could do the podcast. 
live from some of these shows. So if there are additional trade shows, particularly in the Midwest, those would be easier. But uh, anywhere, like uh, I know that we're thinking about going to Anaheim in April. So let us know what trade shows you're planning on going to and uh, whether or not you'd be interested in seeing the podcast live. I think that'd be kind of a cool event. Uh, the producers, producer Alex is, uh, requesting somewhere warm. So not the Midwest. Uh, both. Yes. So both producers are on board with someplace warm. Uh, so I would recommend just somewhere in the Midwest in summer. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we get out of here, please make sure to like share and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast, a positive review on whatever platform you, you, you use even a thumbs up on YouTube. Uh, you can reach any of us if you want to email the podcast at Andy, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also make sure to subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters and make sure you get the podcast to your inbox first. All right, Jeff, we hope you, we hope to see you soon. And uh, for Andy and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.